I want to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Colossians. By the way, you're going to be hearing that for the next couple of months. It's a great privilege to, uh, to look at the book of Colossians. And as you turn there, I want to ask you, are you familiar with the name uh, Joe Kennedy? Not the politician, but another guy who's been in the news recently because of a court case. He's a Christian football coach, a teacher and a football coach, and he was fired for his job from his job in 2015 because he was praying in public and didn't like what he was doing. So they basically did a bunch of things and they ended up firing him and his court case was recently back in the news again. So here's the story. Coach Kennedy, he was a high school coach in the Bremerton School District, Bremerton, Washington, and, and he was professing his faith. He was just living out his faith. And this is what he said. He said, before I coached my first game in 2008, I made a commitment to God that I would give thanks after each game, win or lose, for the opportunity to be a football coach and for my players. I was inspired to do this after watching the movie Facing the Giants. So for seven years after each game, I walked to the center of the field, I knelt, and I prayed a brief prayer of thanks. That simple act of gratitude costs me the job that I love, he said. The school district then prohibited him from publicly praying in the middle of the field because students and fans could see him engaging in some kind of religious expression. He said it started out as a compliment and said a, a complaint, but the, a, a neighboring school was kind of giving him a compliment for what was going on, but they didn't like what he was doing. They said, you could pray as long as you're not leading other people in prayer. And this is what he said, I was all too happy to comply with his directive and clarified that I would pray by myself, but then the school district issued a new policy. And it said I could not pray alone where others might see me. Then they offered to allow me to pray only if it was in a place where nobody could see me. And it made me feel as if my faith was something I should hide or be ashamed of. So he has been working through the courts, fighting this case to allow him to simply use the expression of his faith in a public way. Not doing so in an arrogant way, but doing so. Listen, this is a part of who I am. This is a part of my faith. This is a part of our religious freedom. I simply want to go out and express my love for my Lord and also to be able to gather together and to pray for these people. Now, I share this illustration for a couple of reasons, but one of the main reasons is this. Here's a guy who's taken his faith seriously. He's not being arrogant. He's not being in your face. He's simply saying, listen, I, I want to live out my faith. I, I want to reflect the honor and the glory. I want to reflect worth to the Lord. So I, I want to do these things. And not just be an example, but he wants to do is he wants to gather together and he wants to pray publicly for his school and for his, for his students. And to be able to do that in such a way that it would impact the nature of his work with his students and with his people. You know, before we dismiss his efforts to do this, before we dismiss this, does it remind you of a guy in the Bible? Remind you of a guy in the Bible by the name of Daniel? If you go back and read the book of Daniel, they didn't like the Jews. The people didn't like the Jews. They didn't like what was going on. They said, you know what? King Darius, this is what I want to do. All the satraps, all the governors got together. This is what we want to do. We want to enact a law, and we want you to put it in writing and uh, we want you to put in writing that any person who prays to a God other than you or to any other man other than you will be penalized by death. And so that's exactly what they do. They put this into law. And it's interesting when you go back and look at the text, it says, when Daniel heard about this, in, in my mind, it's like he knew this was coming. I'm wondering if they told him, by the way, we're going to enact this law if you don't stop doing this. 
It says, when he heard about this, he went to Jerusalem, threw open the doors, looked toward Jerusalem, and for three days, or for not for three, three times a day, he began to pray. Why? Because he was making a public commitment of his faith. You know, when you've been changed, when you've been radically changed by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have this desire to want to tell other people about Jesus and to live for him in a mighty and a public way. And what Daniel simply wanted to do is just to pray and to be an example. And, and so this morning, we've already seen, well, we had this great privilege of looking at our text, and Paul's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about the importance. He's going to talk about the privilege that you and I have to pray for each other and, and the, 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 the purpose of prayer. There's a privilege and there's a purpose. I, I want to pray. I, I want you praying for me. I want us praying for other people. Because when we do that, we'll see practical results in the lives of other people. And, and that's the invitation that we have this morning. And by the way, if you, if you know anything about Paul, if you go back and look at most of his letters, all what I believe the book of Galatians, almost every letter, it has this idea, I, I want to pray for other people and I want other people praying for me. Almost every letter reflects that desire because he knows the impact that prayer has on a person's life on a church, on a community. When we go before the Lord, we intercede for him. So Colossians chapter 1, let me read our text this morning, beginning in verse 19. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's kind of the core of what we're going to talk about this morning. Verse 10, and this we pray... Why do we pray this? We pray this in order that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we might have great endurance, patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us, from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Father, it would be just silly for me not to stop right now and just ask that the Word of God would speak to us. Father, we do want to grow. We want to embrace who You are. Father, we want to be able to have times where we come to you and we seek your face, not only for the things of life, but for the way that you would help us to grow and mature individually as families, Lord, as a church. So, Father, we ask this morning that according to your word, that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things from your law. Father, that you might encourage us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I understand when it comes to certain topics, you know, like money and evangelism and sex and all that kind of stuff, prayer, it, it, kind of, it kind of can put us on edge a little bit, and that's not what I want to do this morning. I really want to come at this from a different way, and I want us to look at this as the great privilege of being a part of somebody else's life and how we can help them, and, and that there's a, a specific purpose in the way that we would pray and how that we would pray that would affect people in a mighty, powerful way. So that, that's really what I want us to do, so that maybe when you leave here today, you're going you're gonna to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to change the way that we respond to God. I'm going to change the way that I pray in this way, in this way, in this way, because that's ultimately what I want us to do. 
I want us to see that God can, can use us in the lives of other people. Let's look at, first of all, let's look at, there's, there's a privilege that we have of praying for each other. Look at verse 9. Notice what Paul writes again. He says, for this reason, he's looking back, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, so this is what we know so far in the book of Colossians. The apostle Paul, he, he's in prison. He's probably in a prison in Rome. And this guy named Epaphras, who was part of a church in Colossae, came 1,300 miles, found Paul in, in this prison in Rome, and he began to give him a report to the church. And he began to tell him, Epaphras began to tell Paul, listen, I want you to tell, I want to tell you about the church. They're doing a great job in faith. They're doing a great job in love. They have this hope, and they're ministering and serving each other in a wonderful, wonderful way. And when Paul began this letter, that's how he began to express it. He says, listen, thank you. Thank you, people of Colossae, for all that you're doing. He's bursting out in praise and thanksgiving to God for what he's found in the people of Colossae. But he also has some questions based upon the report from Epaphras. Some things are sneaking into the teaching of the church. You go to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Paul's going to lay out some concerns there. And, and the concerns are this. You know what? You have this guy, Jesus, but is he enough? Do you need to do some other things? Do you need some other kind of knowledge? Do you need some other kinds of things in your life? Or, or maybe what you need to do is you need to add this festival. You need to add this sacrifice. Jesus and all these other things here. So Paul has some real concerns about the teaching and what's going on and the life and the body of Christ and the spiritual direction that's going on. So what is he going to do? He, in verse 9, he says, listen, I'm going to pray. We've not stopped praying and asking. Because of what Paul had heard, in the life of the believers at a church some 1,300 miles away, what does he do? He says, listen, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the spiritual direction of the people at Colossae. So this is what I think helps us here. Before we run away from this, this is, this is how I think it helps us. When you talk about people in the course of your conversations of the week, do you hear for ways that you might be able to help them and to pray for them? Not just them asking specifically, would you pray? But do you hear maybe God's working in a way in their lives that, that you don't fully understand, but, but do you kind of pick up on clues and say, you know what I'm going to do? I, in my mind, in my heart, I, I'm going to start praying for Bill, or I'm, I'm going to start praying for Susan. I'm going, to, I'm going to write their name down, and I'm going to ask that God would spiritually direct them in a mighty and powerful way. You know, but before we dismiss this too quickly, I think we need to consider a couple things. We all know, most of us know, the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul says this, what? Pray continually. Continue to express an attitude of prayer for people around you. Well, maybe what we have here, maybe that's the opportunity that we have is we listen and talk to other people. We have the opportunity to bring in that teaching to pray continually for people as we hear their conversations of what's going on in their lives and their family members. Or maybe what Paul is doing is he's applying Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Remember what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2? It says this, devote yourselves to prayer. That's what's going on here. He's devoting himself to prayer. He's encouraging people to devote themselves to prayer so they can pray for other people, the spiritual needs that they have. Being watchful and thankful. Hmm, what does watchful mean? Well, maybe in the course of a conversation with someone, you're listening, you're hearing about what God is doing in their life, and you pick that up and you write it down and say, I'm going to begin to pray about this certain issue in this particular person's life. I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to, I'm going to grab onto that. And by way of example, by way of example of someone hearing and responding, 
You remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the king. He hears about the great city of Jerusalem. The walls have been torn down. A brother comes and he tells him that all the walls have been torn down around it. And you remember what his immediate response was? He began to mourn, weep, fast, and pray. Mourn, weep, fast, and pray. Based upon the report that someone had brought him about the city of Jerusalem. He didn't just ignore it. He picked up on the clues and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go before the Lord. And I'm going to pray for hurting people. And I'm going to pray for the spiritual needs that they may have in their lives. That's the attitude that Paul has right here. Look again in verse 9. He says, I'm asking that we've not stopped praying and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. At a base, what is prayer? It is praying and asking that God would work in the hearts and minds of other people to display himself in such a way that they can know and understand God's will and God's direction in the difficulties and the challenges of life. I'm asking you that you would completely fill these people at Colossae with the understanding of your word in such a way that they might know who you are and they might know what to do. No matter what the circumstances, whether it be a husband and wife relationship, whether it be a children relationship, whether it be an employee-employee relationship, whatever that situation may be, I ask that you would fill them with the knowledge of your will and give them spiritual understanding so that you would know they would know and understand what it is that you want to do. And at the core of that, that they would know your word and be able to apply that word to the specific purposes of their life. Because we know the transformational power of the word of God in our lives. And so what he's asking is through the power of the Holy Spirit and through prayer and the word of God, may people be radically changed to know and understand what God wants. Now you may be sitting there going, well, Clint, I I don't see where they mention anything about God's word in this verse, in this text, in this prayer. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Notice what Paul writes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The word of Christ. Listen, he's not talking about just the red letters in the Bible. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about life, death, burial, resurrection, the parables, the miracles, all of this wonderful teaching that we have of the unique person in Christ, that it would dwell in their hearts and in their minds so that they would be radically different, and then they would be able to know and understand what God would have in their lives. Colossians 2, verse 4, notice what he says. He says this, I tell you this so that no... It's a great verse, but it's not the one I want. Okay, yeah, verse 3. Colossians 2, verse 3. In whom, speaking of Jesus, the word of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why he wants us to look to the word of Christ. That's why he wants us to look up and see Jesus, because all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in the unique person of Jesus. And we can give ourselves to him, and we can trust him for who he is and what he's done. Prayer. Word of God, context of all these other people, create an environment for which we will grow and spiritually mature in Christ. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2 says this, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. What are you saying? Listen, zeal is good. 
But if you don't have knowledge, what's going to happen is you're going to go off and you may actually miss the right way that you want to be on. What we need is this. We need knowledge to guide and direct us, to help us. Where do we get that knowledge? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what he will direct your steps. We have this wonderful context of the Word of God to guide and direct us and give us what we need in specific and general circumstances of life. You want to see this transformational power of the Word of God? Most of you have memorized this first, but let me just remind you of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Notice what it says, and notice how it shapes our minds. Notice how it shapes how we would act and respond. It says this, all Scripture... God breathed, all of God's word given to us is God breathed and is useful for teaching, telling you what you need to know, rebuking, telling you what you need to stop doing, correcting, getting you back on track and moving in the right direction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped to do any kind of good work. The word of God is such a powerful resource that we have. And what a great privilege that we have to sit down. And, and maybe you're reading through the Bible. And maybe, and maybe you have the opportunity to... What I'm going to do is I'm just going to focus my thought and my attention this morning on Psalm. On the Psalm. And I'm going to look at this Psalm, and I'm going to pray for a particular person, and I'm going to pray Psalm 23 or Psalm 43 or Psalm 37 today for that particular person. And I'm going to use the Word of God to guide and direct how I would respond to another person. So what Paul is writing to the people at Colossae and to us, listen, there's, a, there's an incredible privilege that you and I have to pray for each other because it will help them specifically in their time of need. What might that look like? You know, we, we are all people that, that like to get things done. You know, we have our list. We want to we get things done. We, we want to see things happen, don't we? Well, Paul's going to give us in the remaining verses this idea that there's a purpose behind prayer. There's a specific reason why we pray, and it can affect the lives of, of people around us. And, and that's what I want to look at here. There's a purpose behind our prayer, and we're going to see that in verses 10 through 14. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, and we pray this, praying, asking, spiritual direction. We pray this in order that what you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Worthy and pleasing. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what we want? At the base of who we are, I mean, don't we come in here almost every Sunday because we want to listen and learn and know what Jesus wants for life and to honor and please him no matter what we do? I think that's at the base of what we want to do. One man said this, how long does it take to become a Christian? A moment in a lifetime. Repent, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then we spend the rest of our days, what? Walking, walking with the Lord. Day in and day out. That's what he's talking about here. He says live. It has the idea of a walking moment by moment with Jesus. And what Paul and Timothy are doing, they are praying in such a way that they want to see the people at Colossae and the people at Laodicea and the people at Aeropolis. They want to see them radically transformed by the gospel of God's grace. They want to see practical results. By the way, the three churches, Colossae, Laodicea, Aeropolis, those three areas where he's ministering. If you go back and, and read the book of Revelation, 
one of the, the, the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation is directed to Laodicea. And you know what the rebuke is in the book of Revelation? You have become lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. Something has happened. This is years later. Something has happened in the lives of the people of Laodicea where they've just become lukewarm. Yeah, we're not neither hot nor cold. We're just going to exist. And, and I think what we see here is no wonder Paul is praying because he doesn't want that to happen to the people of Colossae. He doesn't want that to happen to anyone. He wants them to continue to grow and mature. And he says, listen, we pray this so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. In other words, that you may walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. As I was thinking about this, my mind went to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 17, when God calls Abraham. And he says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. Abraham, I don't care how old you are. i got a purpose and plan for your life. But I want you to walk before me. Day by day, step by step, step by step. That's the way the Lord wants to interact with our lives, day by day, moment by moment, step by step. That's how we can reduce our lives and reduce the, the, the way that we would pray in such a way that we can look at our lives and what's going on and say, you know what, I'm going to stop at this particular moment in time and I'm going to ask the Lord to direct my steps. Maybe it's stopping for one minute before you go into your school in the morning, before you get out of the car. Before you go into the office. Maybe it's stopping at lunchtime and saying, you know what, I'm going to ask that you would guide and direct me. I'm going to ask that you would influence my walk in such a way that it would be honoring, glorifying to you. You see what Paul's praying? He said, listen, I, I want those people to have a worthy walk. You know what worthy means? It, let me show you a picture of it. It has the idea of a balance. My walk is on the one side, and Christ in me is on the other side. And worthy has this idea of having such a balance where my life is like this with Jesus. There's not too more of, of, of me, and there's not too more of the world. In, but no, I'm right there. I, my walk is worthy of, of who Jesus is and what he's called from us. I have an understanding of who he is. And there's a balance in knowing who Jesus is, the word of Christ in my life, what he would want for my life, and what he would have me to do and how he would have me to walk. He wants me to have a proper balance and live honorable, valuable, and worthy lives and to please him in all respect. That's what Paul's praying. I, I want these people at Colossae to be able to walk with a balanced relationship with the Lord. And no matter what they're doing, I want them to bring glory and honor to my name. Job, family, whatever, that you would be honored and glorified. That's why he's praying. That's the great privilege that you and I have. That's the purpose of why we pray, because we want to see lives transformed. We want to see people embracing and living for the honor and the glory of God, don't we? That's what Colossians is all about, the preeminence of Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, you're going to get, we are going to get blasted with the beauty and the preeminence and the sufficiency of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he's way up there. He's high and exalted. He's on the throne. And he's saying, listen, look to me. Come to me, because I want to help you. I want you to grow in Christ. So let's just continue to walk through this. When you pray this way, in this manner, what can we expect? Practical growth. Number one, spiritual growth. Look at verse 10 again. 
We pray this in order that you may be bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. I'm I'm older. I'm 60-something years old. I realize I'm probably in the last season of life. I want this to be a good season. And I can expect that, and you can expect that. And what does it say? I want to bear fruit. A couple years ago, we had a tree in our front yard. I think it was a cherry blossom tree. It was a beautiful tree. Every year, I looked forward to the blooms and the, the, the things that would come out of it, the colors. And one year, it didn't produce anything. I'm like, what in the world's going on with that? So I called in a, a guy from next door, and he said, yeah, it's pretty well dead. Got hit by, he said it got hit by lightning. He said, I think it got hit by lightning. It's dead. So let me ask you something. Should I keep that in my front yard? Why? This is going to bear fruit. I mean, this is going to come from that. You're going to get rid of it, right? You're going to take it out and put another one in there. There's an expectation in our lives that we will bear fruit, that because of the Spirit of Christ, because of the Word of God, because of the way that we come together, he says, listen, I want you to bear fruit and grow, that has this idea of, of moving on, progressing, becoming more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and who he is. And there's a calling for you and I to bear fruit. Jesus expected that we would bear fruit. Luke chapter 6, verse 44 says this, Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Hmm. That I, as a Christ follower, are recognized by the fruit that I produce. That's what the Bible says. For me, it's an opportunity to examine my life. And am I? Am I bearing fruit? And maybe there's some hard areas in my life that I need to begin to submit to the Lord and pray to the Lord and ask Him for help in certain areas. Man, I want to bear fruit in my neighborhood. I really want to bear fruit in my neighborhood. So this last week when the snow came, man, I got my snowblower and I did this guy's driveway and this person's driveway and this person's driveway and this person's driveway and this person's driveway. This guy sends me a card with a gift card on it. This guy sends me a text, thank you. And the context of all of that saying, thank you for being a good neighbor. Don't we want that? Absolutely we want that. We want to be good neighbors. We want to serve the people around. That's what he's talking about here in every good work, bearing fruit in every good work. We can't control the fruit. The only thing that we can do is to give ourselves to the Lord and continually serve him. And that's what he's inviting us to do. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's pretty scary. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Listen, are you going through a difficult time right now? Yeah, life's tough. A lot of people are going through a difficult time. Maybe what we can do is we can look at that in the context of what maybe God is doing. He's shaping us. He's changing us. He's pruning all of the dead leaves or all of the dead branches of our life, pruning us so that what we will be more effective in serving him and honoring him and bearing fruit. That's not easy to do. That's really hard to do. But I think that's what he's asking us to do. And this kind of prayer enables us to bear fruit and grow in our relationship with the Lord. What are we producing in our lives? Are we hanging on to the nature and the person of Jesus Christ or not? I'm going to put up Colossians chapter 2, verse 19 on here. 
See, Paul is asking and praying because he wants to see these people radically change on the inside and radically change in their understanding of who God is and what he would do. And he knows that they need to hang on to Jesus, not all this other stuff. And notice what he writes here. He says this. He has lost connection. What he's going to do in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is this. He's going to say, listen, by the way, there's some people out there that are adding all of this other stuff. And he's going to offer a a rebuke here. And this is the rebuke. He says this. He has lost connection with the head. Who's the head? Jesus is the head of the church. And from the whole body, from the whole body. Who's the whole body? We are. The church is the whole body. He's lost connected from the head. He's lost connected from from the people in the church. And now he's just running off doing and promoting his own agenda. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows and God causes it to grow. How does God help us to grow? When we pray, when we hang on to the head, when we connect with other people, we trust him for what he's doing, as we build up and support each other in the body of Christ, God causes spiritual growth in our life. That's why it's so important for us to be together now. We need each other. We need to feed each other. We need to build up each other. We need to help each other. We need to encourage each other. A man by the name of uh, Stuart Briscoe said this, and this may be true of your life. So many times you can't see anything happening week to week. Spiritual growth takes place beneath the surface. Is that reading the Bible, meditating on God's Word, praying, being around? Isn't that kind of work done beneath the surface? We don't necessarily see what's going on. I look at Diana and her teachers as they're, they're teaching this morning. And, you know, a, a lot of times you never really know what the kids are getting. But over a period of time and over a length of time, you see them begin to grow and mature and the, and the lights begin to come on. And that, that's what's happening. God is oftentimes working beneath the surface of our lives that we would grow and mature, become more like Jesus. So prayer has a specific purpose. That creates an environment for spiritual growth. Second thing we see is this. God did not create you to do this on your own. He did not create you to live life on your own. Look at verse 11. He says this. Being strengthened with all power, not a little bit of power, but all power, according to his glorious might, so that, purpose clause, we might have great endurance and patience. Do you ever get irritated in life? Circumstances and people? Circumstances of your job or circumstances of this, or maybe this person or this person. Circumstances and people tend to drive us crazy at times and challenge our sanctification. I think that's why Paul... And verse 10 says, listen, I'm going to continue to pray because the circumstances are difficult and the people are difficult. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to pray and you need to continue to pray and we need to continue to pray for all of those people and all of those circumstances that God would, they would bear them up and give them strength. So I have a friend who comes by almost every Wednesday. He works uh, one of the ministries here and he comes in and he sits in my office and uh, and I, I, we've got to know each other the last three or four years. And uh, almost every Wednesday he comes in and he gives me an update of, of one of his grandchildren. And one of his grandchildren was basically born with a, uh, a, 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 condition, uh, a condition that just makes it really, really difficult for her. So for 19, 20 years, this mom has been dealing with her daughter in this condition. 
I think about this person's life and how she's always gone before her daughter to help her in the midst of the challenge and the difficulties of life, having to fight the doctors and all of this. I can't imagine how difficult it has been. She needs to be strengthened every day. That's what the text means. It says being strengthened, continually being strengthened. You and I continue to need to be strengthened in life, being strengthened with all power, not my power, but the power that comes from living in relationship with Jesus, who he is and what he has done with us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 talks about the power that lives within us, the resurrected power of Christ lives within us through the Spirit of God, and he wants to empower us, and he wants to help us. Being strengthened always is what he wants us to do. What do we need in circumstances? We need endurance. That's what he's talking about here. Endurance has the idea of sticking with it. Man, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to endure. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to bear up in the difficulties and challenges of life. And where does prayer come? But prayer comes alongside us and helps us to endure in difficult times. What do we need with people? Don't we need patience sometimes? We're driving you crazy. I probably drive people crazy. Right? I know I do. I'm sorry. You just need more patience. Dear Lord, give them patience, you know? That's what he's talking about, endurance and patience, endurance with circumstances, patience with people. He's saying we need to pray for one another so that we can endure and we can bear up in the circumstances of life and the challenges of life. I'm not going to pay that person back for what they've done to me. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to offer forgiveness. When you start talking about the difficulties and challenges of life, the way that we have a tendency sometimes to hurt each other, yeah, there's no way. No, no, no wonder that we have to endure and be patient with each other. That's life in the body of Christ, and we need that. And you need that, and I need that. And we need to be praying for that, for us as a community of faith. Anybody weak today? Listen to the words of Jesus. That's why we look at the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 11 says this, Come to me, all not some, all, who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon from me and what learn from me. That's why we look at the words of Christ and we're learning from Jesus. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you, you will find rest for your souls. Oh, don't we need rest for our souls? Don't we want rest for our souls? I do, you do. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what prayer does is that prayer creates an environment for spiritual growth. Prayer creates a dependence upon God, and it gives us strength. And the last thing is this. Prayer changes you in such a way that you want, you want to joyfully give thanks for who God is and what he's done. Look at verses 12 to 14. This is just a beautiful summary of, of, of what our Heavenly Father has done for us. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. I just, it's just stunning, the beauty in that verse. Uh, one man said this, When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. 
this verse should just cause us to say thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done for my life. Three things, and then we'll be done. What should we be grateful for? Number one is this, for the privileges you don't deserve. For the privileges you don't deserve. Notice it says, to share, qualify to share in the inheritance of the saints. There's a lot of things that you don't want me to do for you because I'm not qualified. I can't fix your car. can't fly a plane. can't do electricity. I'm okay cook, maybe. There's certain things I, I just, I'm not qualified for, and you don't want me working on them. I'm qualified for heaven, despite who I am. If you knew me when I was 23, 24 years old, I'd turn your stomach. Some of you are the same way. Most of us are the same way. He says, you, I've qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. In other words, we have this wonderful blessing of heaven. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, the saints, all of these wonderful things that we're going to experience in the future. And what that is our inheritance. And by the way, no one can take that from you. I've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. No one can take that away from you and I. What else do we have that leads us to gratitude? The threats from which you've been delivered from. Look at, he says, he's rescued you from the dominion of darkness. Have you ever been rescued from a really bad situation? I mean, really bad situation. And look back over my life. When I was a kid, we were, we were, uh, I, we were, I was fishing on a stream and I was on a log, crossing the log, and I fell under the log and I was like under the log for like 1,001, 1,002, and then boop, popped up. I rolled a, a van in Ogallala, Nebraska. They're traveling through the winter in Ogallala. I rolled it. I was in a, uh, working at a department store, and a guy robbed me, came in, showed a gun. I wonder how many times God has rescued us, and we don't really fully know and understand it. Rescued has the idea of, of going down a path and, and, and going in the wrong direction, and, and you're about ready to cross the threshold of death or something terrible, and he's rescued you. He's just he grabbed you by the shirt, and he's pulled you out of that. And it says it's from the domain of darkness, from the authority of darkness that has captured our minds and our hearts. You've been rescued from that. And we should be grateful and thankful to the Lord. Are you familiar with the, the um, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia? Remember what, what it's talked about? It's always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine living what we experience this last week forever and always winter, never Christmas. That's the domain of darkness, and we should be grateful and we should be thankful for that. We've been removed from that. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And finally, this the, we've been rescued from the pressures that, that, that come upon our lives. We've been set free to live by the certain pressures of life all around us. It says this, He's brought you into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, the kingdom of, of, of light, not darkness, the kingdom of the Son of Jesus, whom he loves. You and I have been now freed to live in the realm of that kingdom. Which means I don't have to please anybody but the Lord as he directs my life. I don't have to live for success. I don't have to live for achievement. I don't have to live that Jesus loves me and he cares for me in a mighty, powerful way. And what he has done, he has brought me into the kingdom of his Son, and I don't deserve that. And it all comes from our Heavenly Father because of grace. And all of that should cause us to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in my life. 
Thank you for the freedoms that I have. So I'm basically done. I want to close with an illustration. Um, a, a couple of years ago, about 10 years ago, um, they made a movie of the Jim Elliott story, Nate Saint story, the Through Gates of Splendor, about the guys who went into Ecuador and they were, they were martyred. Uh, in 2006, um, the name of the movie was The End of the, End of the Spear. And um, one of the guys who went into um, South America was a guy by the name of Nate Sink. He was the, uh, he was the, the guy who flew the plane. And um, they were martyred, they were killed. But the family members went back into the tribe in a, an incredible display of forgiveness and, and told the people about Jesus. And so years later, when they were making the movie, they had this conversation with, with Steve Saint, who was Nate Saint, the pilot's son. I want to just kind of tell you the, uh, the, this illustration. Nate Saint, Steve, was asked, so you've had a history of reconciliation with the Wadani over the years, but there wasn't a specific moment of reconciliation. And this is what he replied. It was a developing thing, but I think the point of reconciliation was Min Cain, this was the man who had killed Steve's father. When Man Cain uh, was with my Aunt Rachel, And in her journal, this is what she wrote. Uh, Aunt Rachel wrote one night, Tonight, when I was sleeping in the hammock, I heard a noise. Somebody was walking around in the dark. Min Cain called out to her and squatted by her fire, wanting to talk. He said, You said that Wagagoni, the creator, is very strong. Aunt Rachel said, Min Cain, he is very strong. He made everything here, even the dirt. Min Cain said this, you said that he could clean somebody's heart. My heart being very, very dark, can he clean even my heart? This is a murderer speaking. And Rachel said, being very strong, he can clean even your heart. She wrote that Min Cain got up, walked away, but the next morning he came back excited. He said, Star, what you said is true. Speaking to God, he has cleaned my heart. Now it's Watamo. It's clear like the sky when it has no clouds in it. I think that is a great illustration of these verses. Rescued, redeemed, forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And he's cleansed us as pure as the driven snow on the inside. And that is why we offer him gratitude. So let me ask you. How are you going to lead this? How are you going to be changed with this idea of the privilege of praying for other people? You know, maybe write their name down and ask the Lord to, to touch their hearts. You know, or are you going to stop and maybe before you go into a class or your work or whatever, to me, take some time to pray for other people? I hope that you find a way to enter into the privilege we have of praying, not just for things but for the spiritual development and direction of your spouse, your children, family members, friends, co-workers, all of that. That's why Paul, when he gets to the end of this, pray that God would open a door so that we can speak the mystery of Christ. He's praying for God to do something, to practically open doors. Father, we have just an incredible privilege of being able to intercede on behalf of others. And Lord, I I do not understand the full dimensions of what it means for us
to pray to you and to pray. Father, we are each one of us on a journey. But Lord, we embrace that journey with faith, trusting that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, and that you want to use us in the lives of other people. And Father, I pray that you would do that. Father, somehow, someway, just before we leave, that you would help us to find a way to apply this text, how we can pray for other people and for their spiritual development. Father, I thank you for those who continue to pray. Father, thank you for those who intercede on behalf of our family members. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.